Brothers and sisters, we're going to be looking at the Word of God as it's summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 31. And the topic of the, the teaching this afternoon is going to be the preaching of the Word of God. When I think about the preaching of the Word of God, I'm reminded of the story of a young preacher who was about to preach his very first sermon in his very first congregation. And he was feeling a little bit nervous, and he really wanted to, to preach a good sermon. The first one he figured had to be a really good one. And the first sermon not only had to be a good one, but he figured that the introduction would have to be especially good. And he was racking his brain and racking his brain. He couldn't figure out, what should I, what, how should my introduction go? You really want to grab people. So what he decided to do is he heard that there was a famous traveling preacher who was coming into town. And he figured, well, maybe he's got some ideas and I'll go hear him preach on, on Saturday night. So uh, this man was holding a, you know, some, some street preaching or preaching in a tent on Saturday night. So he sat and he listened to this, this old traveling preacher, an experienced uh, preacher. And that man stood up in the, in the pulpit and he said, Brothers and sisters, the most beautiful woman that I've ever held in my arms was the wife of another man. It was my mother. Oh, everyone thought that was just a beautiful way to start a sermon. And the young preacher who was sitting there thought to himself, that's it. That's the one. That's going to be the, the real zinger to start off my first sermon and my first service, my first congregation. It's going to be great. The next Sunday, you know, the next day he wakes up, puts on his Sunday best. He goes to lead the service. Everything is going well. He gets to the beginning of his sermon. And he says, brothers and sisters, the most beautiful woman that I ever held in my arms was the wife of another man. And then his mind went totally blank, and he couldn't remember what the next thing he was supposed to say. And so he just sputtered out, and I can't remember for the life of me who it was. <laughs> it is often the case that we think about preaching and preachers in terms of their ability to grab our attention or their ability to have a a good and an interesting story. And I understand the great irony of me saying this after having just given you that example. We're going to speak about preaching today. And what I would like to impress upon your minds is that you can have preaching in which the congregation is just wrapped around your finger and they're hanging on every word and they, you've, you're leading them through the whole way and it can be entirely powerless. And at the same time, you can have preaching that sort of just dribbles over the pulpit, but comes with Holy Ghost power into your life. Real preaching, true preaching, is a key of the kingdom of heaven. So if you have your book of praise with you, have a look with me at Lord's Day 31. We're going to read question and answer 83 and 84. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the holy gospel and church discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and closed? By the preaching of the gospel. According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits as often as by true faith they accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. 
According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. So let's talk about what we confess here in Lord's Day 31 concerning preaching. This preaching here is described, along with church discipline, as a key of the kingdom. And so the image there comes from Jesus' instruction to his disciples about uh, giving them the keys of the kingdom. And it's an image that comes from somebody who would have been a household steward. You, we might think of it as sort of a household butler, but more of a household manager. Perhaps you've watched Downton Abbey. I think that there was a household manager in there. And a household steward, also in the time of the New Testament, would be someone who would take care of the house, manage the house in the name of the owner. And that person would carry keys. You can imagine maybe they had a chain around their neck and they had keys to the different doors and different you know, cupboards in the house. And so the steward's job was to use those keys to let certain people in the house and to not let other people in the house, to open the door for some people and to close the door for other people, to say some people, yes, you're welcome to come in, and to other people, no, you're not welcome, you must stay out. And to do that not on behalf of himself as the steward, but on, in the name of the owner of the house carried those keys. And so if the steward were to let you in the house, well then it was as if the owner himself was letting you in the house. In 1 Corinthians 4 and in Titus 1, the apostles and by extension the elders are called the stewards of the house of God, the stewards of the church. And so the elders of a church carry keys. You don't see them in a chain around our necks because they're not physical keys, they are spiritual keys for the spiritual house of God. So elders are not bouncers who wait at the door with their, their big muscles, check your ID and throw you out if you, if you misbehave. They're not physical bouncers, but they are stewards who carry spiritual keys. So Matthew 16 says that these keys come from Jesus, they're keys that are used in Jesus' name. The question answer 84 speaks of them being used at the command of Christ. And so elders use these keys of the kingdom in the name of Jesus, so that when elders open and close doors of the kingdom, it is Christ himself who is being represented who is doing that. The keys of the kingdom are, are used to open and shut the kingdom of heaven, that is, close spiritual communion with Jesus. And so the keys are used to open close spiritual communion with Jesus to people who believe in Jesus and to close it to those who are unbelievers. And that gets especially symbolized in the Lord's Supper because this Lord's Day follows uh, right after what we've confessed with the, uh, in, in Lord's Day 30 about the Lord's Supper. And so these keys are also used by the elders to open and to close access to the Lord's Supper. And as question and answer 83 says... Uh, these two keys of the kingdom are used to, are, the, the keys of the kingdom are used to open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close them to unbelievers. So we don't use keys in order to open the kingdom to some kinds of believers and close it to some other kinds of believers. The keys of the kingdom are used to open the kingdom of Christ, close communion with him and the Lord's Supper table to believers and to close those things to unbelievers. So, there's two keys of the kingdom, preaching of the holy gospel and church discipline. We'll talk about church discipline on another Sunday, and today we're going to talk about preaching of the gospel. So, the first thing I think that it's helpful for us to understand is that when the church uses the key of preaching, that it's Christ himself that opens and closes the kingdom through that preaching. Okay? So let me explain that using 
some of the texts that we looked at. So in James chapter 1, for instance, uh, it says that God brought us forth by the word of truth, and it speaks about the implanted word which can save our souls. So we're brought forth into new life by the word of truth, the implanted word that can save our souls. So what is that word that James is talking about? What is the word that can save our souls? Well, you could say it's, it's Jesus who he describes himself or is described in John chapter 1 as in the beginning there was the word and the word was God and uh, the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word. And so Jesus is the one who saves our souls. Jesus is the one uh, who brings us forth in new life as the word of truth. But it's obvious in James that he also speaks about being hearers and doers of the word in, in chapter eight, uh, 1, verse 22. So he's also talking about the preaching of the word. So it's Jesus as the word of God that can save your soul. And at the same time, it's Jesus preached, the preached word of God about Jesus, who is the word of God that can save your soul. And we discover the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it speaks about living, the living and abiding word that makes you born again. The living and abiding word that makes you born again. So that you would say, well, that's got to be the word, Jesus the word. But then Peter goes on to say, this word is the good news that was preached to you. So he's also speaking about preaching. So Jesus, who is the word of God, who saves us, comes to us through the preaching of the word. And so Jesus saves us as the word of God, but he does it through the preaching of the word of God. So it is also the preaching that saves you. So you can, you can think about it in this way. The word of God gets explained in the book of Hebrews as living and active, and that it's sharper than a double-edged sword penetrating and dividing the soul and spirit Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. All right, so it's, it's something, the preaching of the word does something active. And then if you go to the book of Revelation, we have this beautiful image, and it's an image of Jesus, and what does he have coming out of his mouth? He's got a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He's got the word of God coming out of his mouth. And so it's, it's the preached word, but it's, it's Jesus' preached word. The preached word and Jesus himself are very closely united, just like God's word and the written word of Scripture is altogether the word of God. Augustine says, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And in the second Helvetic Confession, which is a Reformed confession early on in the Reformation, it says this. Perhaps you'll find this a little bit startling. The second Helvetic Confession says, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. So when I'm preaching to you on a Sunday, well, it's my words, it's my vocal cords are making these words, but the second Helvetic Confession says that when you hear me preaching, it is God speaking to you. It is the word of God. That when you hear the preaching of the word of God, it is Jesus speaking to you. Which is why faithful preachers can say, thus says the Lord. Martin Luther said it like this, the church is God's mouth house. That's kind of a funny expression. The church is God's mouth house. Try to say that ten times quickly. 
It's the house of God by which it's the house of God by which God is speaking to his people and to into culture. God speaks in the church. Calvin said it like this, God has so chosen by his spirit to anoint the tongue and the lips of his preachers so that when they speak, the voice of Jesus resounds. God has so chosen by his spirit to anoint the tongue and the lips of his preachers so that when his preachers speak, the voice of Jesus is heard. When a preacher faithfully preaches the holy gospel, then it is Jesus who is speaking. When the word of God is preached, the word, capital W, Jesus, is heard. Think about that. When the gospel is faithfully preached, which according to this Lord's Day means that when this message is preached, that God to each and every believer, that God has forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they accept by true faith this promise of the gospel, and that for all unbelievers and hypocrites, the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rests on them as long as they do not repent. When that holy gospel message is preached, it is Jesus who is speaking, and in that moment, Jesus is opening and closing the kingdom of God. That's what we confess. Jesus, in the preaching of the word, is using that key of the kingdom through a faithful preacher to open and close the kingdom of God. So that means that when I proclaim the gospel from this pulpit on a Sunday, it is God who is speaking, and if you believe it, and if you accept it in true faith, then Jesus opens the door in that moment to true communion with him. And as well, then in that moment, the door is open toward, uh, for the Lord's Supper. And when you hear Jesus in the preaching, when you believe and accept it, he opens that, that door of communion because John 12 says, whoever hears and believes will not remain in darkness. If you hear and believe the preaching of the word, it's God's voice that you hear and believe, you come into light. So you come to the table. At the same time, if I preach that same gospel and you don't believe it, you're like, ah, whatever, Winston's just talking you don't believe it, and you don't accept it in faith, in that moment, the Lord himself closes the door of the kingdom on you. When you hear Jesus speak in the preaching of the gospel, and you don't believe it, and you don't accept it, he shuts the door. In John 12, Jesus says, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not receive my words. The wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on you, and therefore the Lord's Supper is also shut to you, because communion with Jesus is shut to you. So, what does that mean in the first place for preachers? What does this mean for preachers? Well, first of all, preachers need to preach the Word of God. Just because I'm a preacher doesn't mean that automatically everything I say from up here is God speaking to you. Preachers must speak the Word of God in order for it to be God speaking. Preachers preach, entertainers entertain. You want a preacher who preaches God's word. And so preachers must strive their very best to make sure that they're preaching what the Bible says. That means you don't need, as a preacher, to find the most excellent, beautiful opening for your sermon. There once was a, you know, the most beautiful woman I ever held was the woman of another man, wife of another man. You don't, you don't need that in order to be a preacher. What you do need, and what is much more important, is that you need to make sure that the, the meaning of your message is the message of the passage. You need to preach what the Bible says. You can't just pick an idea and find a couple of verses and throw it all together and preach some nice-sounding thing. 
You just need to preach what God says. You have to be able to say, thus says the Lord. So the goal of the preacher is to bring up out of the text of Scripture what the Holy Spirit put in there and not put into the text of Scripture what the preacher thinks might be there. And I don't do that perfectly, but that's, that's what a preacher ought to strive to do. I, I want to come here every Sunday and say, I've been studying this, I'm going to bring out what the Spirit says to the church in the Word of God so that I can say, thus says the Lord. When I was teaching preaching in Burkina Faso last year, uh, I, told the, I told my students there, I said, imagine if you're preaching that, that the author of the text that you are reading is sitting in the church. Imagine that Paul is sitting on the front row, or Moses, or Isaiah, or, or Peter, or James. Imagine they're sitting in church, and as you're preaching, look at them. Are they nodding in agreement are they agreeing that what you're preaching is what they meant to say? Or are they like, mm, no. You want them nodding. You want to be able to have confidence that you're preaching what the text actually says. So it matters, to me, it matters a whole lot less if you guys nod to my sermon. It matters more to me if the authors of the text were to be nodding or if God himself is nodding. For a preacher, that's important. You want... God himself to be saying, yes, you're speaking my word. Even if the people who are hearing it are like, oh, we don't like that. When I was in Burkina Faso, something very interesting happened. We spent a, a full day on this, or a big part of the day on this. And that during break time, they were all talking, 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 talking. And finally, they came up to me and they said, if what you're saying is true, if the preaching of the word, if it's faithfully bringing out what the word actually says, and and you can say, thus says the Lord, and it is God speaking, that means that we're all prophets. It's like, yeah, you got it. For them, that was so important, because in Burkina Faso, for a lot of Christians, they go to church, they listen to their pastor, but then they go to another prophet. They go to another Christian who they think has some great spiritual power, and they ask, can you give us a fresh word from God? You know, that happens uh, in, in certain you know, churches, and so that person will be like, oh yeah, I prayed for you, and God wants you to do this, and God wants you to do that. And they were like, if we preach the way that you're teaching us to preach, we don't need those prophets. Well, as a teacher, there's nothing better than someone grabbing hold of it and saying, yeah, they, they're seeing the consequences of this. You don't need to go to some super spiritual person who's going to give you a special word of God. You can hear the word of God when it's faithfully preached in the church of God. It's Jesus who speaks through the preaching when it's faithfully done, wielding his key, opening and closing the kingdom of God. So, actually this week I have a meeting with our elders because they're doing sermon review, and they have a big process for that, and they all listen to a different sermon, and they examine a bunch of questions, and then they meet together without me, and they come up with a document, and then two of them are going to visit me this week to talk to me about my preaching. And so I don't know what they're going to say yet, but I hope and pray that our elders will come to me, and they will be primarily concerned, does Winston preach what the text says? That's what you need to be concerned about. That's what you need to look for in a, in, in a preacher. It doesn't matter if the preaching just sort of dribbles over the pulpit because he's not the greatest speaker. What it does matter is if it is the word of God, if you can hear Jesus speaking. Second thing a preacher then must do is to trust the preaching of the word. Sometimes it's, it's easy for a preacher like myself to you preach and you... I'll give this example. My, my father is a preacher. My father is a pastor. And when he became a pastor, he would, he would preach with lots of exuberance and enthusiasm. And he had an older pastor 
who came up to him afterwards and said, Chris, leave a little room for the Holy Spirit to do his work. You don't have to grind it into their souls. You can let the Spirit do the work. There's a good lesson in that for preachers, also for myself. Sometimes you can you know, enthusiastically want to bind a message on people's hearts, but you have to recognize that trust that the preaching will do its work. God's word will not come back empty. That preaching will do its work. Sometimes it happens. Many preachers will tell you that sometimes it happens. You, you finish a sermon and you, and you feel so weak and that, the, it was, that this, was, this was not, you didn't do a good job. This is not well done. And you find out later that those are often the sermons that really pierce people's hearts and change lives and work in people's hearts, the ones that you think were the weakest, because it's the spirit that's working through the word. And you have to trust that. I was given very, very wise advice when I was in seminary from a, uh, a pastor and a professor who's now passed on to be with the Lord. And he gave me this advice, and I followed it for, this is my 10th year of, of being a pastor, and I've prayed the prayer that he recommended I pray after every single sermon that I've ever preached. So usually I would do that during the time of collection, but since we're not having collections, after the service, I go into here and I sit on the stairs in there and I pray the following prayer that he taught me that helps me trust that the preaching will, will do its work, that God will speak and do his work. And I pray for, for three things. First, I pray that the Lord would forgive me for the weak way that I handle his word. And then I pray that the Lord, with his Holy Spirit, despite my weakness, would still work in your hearts by his word. And then I pray that the Lord would hide me behind the cross so that no one would leave this place thinking that Winston did a good job, but they would leave thinking about Jesus. Preachers need to trust that God will do his work through the preaching. So that's what, what this, this teaching would mean for preachers. What does it mean for, for all the rest of you then who are not preachers? Well, we've touched on this already. Look for a preacher and don't look for an entertainer. Look for a preacher. Don't look for an entertainer. Maybe your pastor isn't the world's greatest pre eh, preacher. Maybe he stumbles over his words. Maybe he's glued to his paper more than you would like. And delivery, delivery and clarity are important. And pastors, too, need to work on their craft and try to become the best preachers that they can be. But the primary question the church must always ask of its preacher is, is this preacher preaching the word of God? Can we say that we're hearing Jesus speak when he speaks? Are we not, not only we nodding, but is God nodding? And Peter and James and Paul and Moses and Isaiah, whoever wrote the text that he's preaching on, would they be nodding? Can you trust your preacher to preach the words of God? Can you trust that when he climbs the pulpit that you'll hear Jesus' words? Look for preachers, don't look for entertainers. There's a beautiful story uh, that highlights that that comes from the 1920s in Wales, the eastern or the western section of, of the United Kingdom. And there was a, a preacher, a young preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, in the 1920s in that area in Wales, there were a, a lot of churches who were, their, their members were given up on church. People had stopped coming to church, not too interested, especially young people, they're you know, not too interested in church anymore. And so a lot of churches were really trying to retain their people by trying to come up with all kinds of various activities and things that could attract the youth back to the church. And so they'd have this activity and this concert and these things. And this particular church that Martin Lloyd-Jones became the pastor of in the 1920s in Wales, they'd built a big wooden stage so that they could host 
plays that they could do drama and they could get the young people in and they could act and stuff and they thought this would be a good way to get young people back in the church. And Martin Lloyd-Jones became the pastor there and he said, okay, they said, well, so what's, what's your strategy? What are you going to do? And so he said, well, I'm going to preach twice on a Sunday and I'm going to preach on Wednesdays and I'm going to hold a Bible study on Saturdays. That was his whole plan. And they said, well, we've got this big wooden stage for drama plays. What do you think of that? And his response was classic. He said, you can tear it down and use it to heat the church in the winter. Tear it down, cut up the wood, and heat the church in the winter so that people can listen to the preached word of God. And that attitude should be ours as well. I don't think in this church that we're so in temptation of, of seeking an entertainer rather than a preacher. But let's be clear about that as we go into the future as well, so that also our children will be raised in homes in a church that does not look for entertainment, but looks for Jesus speaking in the preaching. I remember when I was, a, I was a young teen or an older teen, my parents always said that we had to be home on time on Saturday nights. Uh, we had to be home earlier on Saturday nights than any other night of the week because Sunday was the next day, and so we had to be ready for church. And my reaction to that when I was young was, like, really? Um, there's, that, there's that beautiful quote from Mark Twain who says, you know, when I was 16, my father was a complete idiot, right? But in, when I was 21, I was amazed by how much he learned in five years. Um, I'm, I'm now a little bit older than 21, and I realize there was a lot of wisdom in what my parents had to say. What they were trying to drill into us is that you come prepared to worship. You take the preached word seriously. So I'd encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do that, that you come to worship taking it seriously, being ready to hear Jesus speak, to hear the word of God. You know, uh, I have the privilege when I come up here to preach is that I get to see all the people that sleep. Um, it doesn't really bother me too much because I've slept in many church services. Uh, I also know that, you know, sometimes you just had a belly full of food and it's really difficult to stay awake. Or maybe um, you didn't sleep well last night or you're on medication or maybe the sermon is just really boring or way too long. There's lots of good reasons to sleep in church or not so good reasons to sleep in church. But at least we should try to think to ourselves, how do I fight that? I mean, if we really believe that the word of God will be preached. Then we want to try to fight that and figure out ways that we can say, well, you know, when, when my dad was, a, when, when I was a kid, my dad was a preacher in, in Smithville, Ontario, and they had lots of farmers and they had to be milking cattle, uh, you know, and, and being up at, you know, all hours or really early in the morning. So sometimes while he was preaching, some of the farmers would just stand up in their pew. So you just somebody stand up because then they, that would keep them awake because they knew if they were sitting down, they'd fall asleep. So they'd stand up. So I would prefer to have the whole back wall over there of everybody standing up so that they could hear than have people sitting in the pews sleeping. And not because I'm offended when you sleep, but because I do want you to hear the word of God. So think about that, or maybe take notes, or, or figure out a way to, to make sure you're paying attention to the word of God. And then another, another application would be take the invitation and admonition of the Lord's Supper very seriously. Very seriously, don't roll up here on a Lord's Supper Sunday just assuming, oh yeah, you know, the table's open to me, I'm a member here, or the table's open to me because I got my piece of paper, I got, you, got, you know, I'm not stationed with me. No, the, the table is going to be open to you through the preaching of the word, so pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. Hear the preaching of God's word 
by God himself through this servant of his. So that if you accept it in true faith and believe the promise of the gospel, that the table may be open to you. Take that seriously. Take the preaching of the word as the word of God himself. Jesus speaks to you Sunday after Sunday. Listen to him, brothers and sisters. May God bless the preaching of his word. And may God bless this preacher so that I might do my work faithfully. Let's pray together.